What has been law in over 60 countries around the world for years is still being fought for here in the US. GMO labeling. Consumers' right to know. But new developments that might make GMO labeling here in the US a reality made us decide to dedicate this show to this topic. We will hear an update from the heart of the GMO labeling campaign here today on An Organic Conversation. Your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. You know, it, it's really great to be revisiting this topic. We actually did a series of episodes on this very topic back in, I believe it was 2012, when when California was voting on the, the right to know. And we had somebody from the, the National Just Label It campaign, as well as somebody who is local to San Francisco, where there were quite a lot of efforts being um, invested in California right to know. And I remember at the time feeling so hopeful there were so many people who were, you know, g- g- organizing around this, and it was a, a a last, you know, few minutes to the finish line when when ultimately that didn't pass, and it was quite a quite a disappointment, and not sure how things were going to change, and then and then we've just been following state by state and wondering who was going to be the one to turn the tides, and what's happened in Vermont recently has really changed what could be a, a, a future yes. national relationship to GMO labeling. I'm so excited to get this update today. And we will hear all about that. And really, it's common in in uh, over 60 countries, I think at this point, 64 countries around the world have GMO labeling. It's common in Germany, it's law there. Uh, it didn't make food more expensive, which was or which is the main argument still here in the United States of why to fight it. Uh, but it did force GMOs literally out of the marketplace. You will have a hard time trying to find GMO foods anywhere in Germany on the shelf. I've never seen any, even though I tried to find them. Um, so consumers in Europe seem to completely have rejected GMOs. And I, I think really that's the fear, of course, of companies fighting it when we give consumers a choice. And that is our topic today, consumers' right to know GMO labeling an update from the campaign trail here in the US. Maybe we've been, we've never been closer to finally having GMO labeling here on products in the United States. We will hear how close we are. This is an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And we'll be right back with so much more. Stay tuned. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit Earl's Organic. 
Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Hilberg. And I'm Sijirani Palomar. Our topic in this hour is GMO labeling our consumers' right to know. And now with us is Gary Hirschberg, the chairman of the Just Label It campaign out of Washington, D.C., who is actually joining us today from Holderness, New Hampshire. And, of course, Gary Hirschberg is also the chairman of Stonyfield Farm, uh, the world's leading organic yogurt producer and the managing director of Stonyfield Europe. Gary, do we have you on the line? I'm here, Helga. Oh, nice thank you. With you. Thanks so much for joining us, for making the time. I know you're busy. You're wearing so many hats. You've been a leader in the industry for decades. For, <laughs> for the time that I've known you, you have sought leadership roles and created amazing change. And again, you're doing this with the Just Label It campaign. Can you give us an update of where we stand? I was saying in the intro, it's law in 64 countries around the world, all over Europe. I'm from Germany. It has been law there for years. And it hasn't created an increase in food prices, which was the most often stated fear here. But we are closer than ever before, thanks to your work and many other people working in that area of GMO labeling. Where are we right now? Well, it's, uh, the timing for this conversation could not be better. Uh, it's a very exciting moment, and, and really credit uh, here to a band of um, tireless activists in Vermont, uh, because uh, in several weeks on June, uh, July 1st, uh, Vermont's mandatory labeling law will kick in. What that means is any companies who wish to sell foods in the state of Vermont will have to have a uh, simple disclosure on the package, similar to the one that you've experienced in mm -hmm. Germany and, and most citizens around the world, uh, over 60% of the world's population actually uh, uses. So it's a, it's, a, it's a terribly exciting moment. You know, practically speaking, as a food manufacturer wearing that hat for a moment, it's very difficult for any manufacturers to just produce products for one state. So, of course, Vermont is really a tipping point um, by uh, requiring the labeling for any products in that state. That means that certainly all of New England, much of the Northeast, and, and really in many cases the whole country will also now benefit from this, uh, um, this decision by the Vermont legislature, which really for the very first time, as you said in your intro, gives citizens the uh, very simple uh, right that most people assume we should have, uh, which is just the right to know whether the foods have been produced with uh, genetic engineering. And so you're, you're saying, just to explain that to the listener, it's kind of a, a backdoor way. Instead of having federal law demanding GMO labeling on products, your campaign was focused on if we can get one state, in this case Vermont, require labeling, it is nearly impossible to guarantee that 
a, a company can split their products, pr produce one line of products that just goes to Vermont with GMO labeling, and then the rest of the states, the rest of the country gets the products that don't require GMO labeling. That is too expensive and, and, and too cumbersome, too difficult to do. So by one state, hopefully more states will follow suit, but just by one state, Vermont requiring GMO labeling, it will require manufacturers to bite the bullet and put it on their packaging no matter what, right? That's yeah, that, what you're that's saying. that's generally correct, but let me, let me clarify a couple yes. of points. So first of all, just label it. When we started the campaign seven years ago, it was because uh, being here in New Hampshire, where, where I live and where Stonyfield is, uh, we, of course, have unusual access to the presidential candidates who really come here and, and more or less live here for the two years leading up to each election. Yes. And Barack Obama uh, visited me at my house. We visited at, at the offices. And 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 he, you know, made clear to me personally, as did many um, other candidates, that if if elected, uh, he would insist on having mandatory labeling. This very simple right. So we established just label it uh, to secure federal labeling, national labeling, um, and of course, um, there are many many times through the history of our country when the federal government is not responsive or functional, and certainly uh, then-candidate Obama, when he became President Obama, I think uh, learned with this and many other issues that uh, it wasn't quite as easy as just having willpower. There's a lot of forces mounted against us, as we'll probably discuss. Um, so we, of course, have worked very closely and in harmony with not just Vermont, but with activists in uh, now close to 30 states around the country. Uh, Vermont happened to be the first uh, that passed, but I, I, I want to be clear. Credit goes to the activists in the state of Vermont, not to just label it. But we also have passed um, labeling uh, bills in uh, Maine and also in Connecticut. And um, we are expecting momentarily that one will pass in New York State and perhaps Massachusetts soon after. We've had a uh, referenda that many of your listeners will know about in other states, California, Washington, Oregon, Colorado. Uh, but yes, to get back to your real point, that the premise here is that oftentimes, uh, through the history of this country, when the federal government isn't functional, yes. uh, states need to take matters into their own hands. The best, most graphic example of that, of course, is women's right to vote, which back in the early 20th century began in states. And of course, we've seen in recent times uh, everything from same-sex marriage to menu labeling to medical marijuana also being approved in the states, which eventually at some point becomes inevitable that it's at the federal level. And for the reason you mentioned, it's difficult for food companies to label just for one state. We, we think that Vermont is a critical tipping point. And I might just say one other thing that's very important, sure. uh, which is why this is also important. Um, you know, um, uh, you, you said it yourself, when labels started to appear, the EU did this right. When, they, when the European Parliament approved uh, genetically engineered crops for use in mostly for animal feed in Europe, they said there's just one caveat. You have to put it on the label if it's going to show up in human food. And uh, here, because of all of the incredible financial investment in biotech and, sure. and on the part of large soy and corn manufacturers, the, the massive effort that's been spent, like I said, this has taken us over seven years and we still don't have federal labeling. Um, but as you said, there were a lot. Of, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of fears and a lot of lies told, and one of them has been that food costs are going to go through the roof, farmers are going to be put out of business, et cetera, et cetera. So one of the reasons Vermont is so critical is that this simple little innocuous statement has shown up, 
And guess what? The sky has not fallen. Uh, food, hundreds and hundreds of products now contain the label already. You can pick up a Pepsi up here in New England. You could pick up a, a, uh, uh, an M&M, peanut M&M's. Uh, you can pick up all kinds of products, uh, <laughs> any Campbell's soup. They have the simple label. Yes. And, you know, consumers have not changed their patterns. And, and, and most of those lies and most of those trumped-up fears have, of course, been proven to be just that trumped up. Which is interesting because in, in Germany, nobody would eat and touch um, GMOs. But we have a different history with handmade food and with mass production and, and overly well, processed foods. Well, and you have another problem anyway. here, which, as I said, in, in Germany and in all of Europe and much of the world, you never saw genetically That's engineered right. foods in the market until it was on the label. But That's here... Right. Yeah, uh, we've had these since foods the on products. We've had genetically engineered foods since 1996, so we have 20 years. What that means is over 70 percent of processed food out there. If you're eating anything with soy or corn or sugar sure. uh, beets, then you're getting genetically engineered foods. And so this is a matter of sort of putting the genie back in the bottle. We're speaking with Gary Hirschberg, the chairman of the Just Label It campaign out of Washington D.C., who's joining us today from Holderness, New Hampshire. Of course, Gary Hirschberg is also the chairman of Stonyfield Farm, the world's leading organic yogurt producer. Sita. So, Gary, let's go to, you said this is a very simple right, or right to know. And I want to go to a very simple question, which is why is it that labeling is such an important issue when it comes to consumer choice? Well, Sita, it's, that's really the key question, of course. And, and the corollary is what, why would anyone be opposed to that simple right? We've always said that there are two um, you, you know, you can debate or argue whether genetically engineered foods are safe or not. Um, there's there's a raging scientific debate out there. Um, the pro the the anti-labeling side would would want you to believe that there's no debate, that there's a an international consensus. But in the scientific literature, there's this. It's clear that there hasn't been enough in, independent testing. That is testing uh, for safe long-term health and safety by uh, entities other than those paid for by the patent holders, by the crops. But, but, um, but, there, but from our vantage point, you know, you can debate whether the crops are safe or not, and, and indeed, Just Label It does not take a position whether they are. But there are two unassailable truths here that get to the heart of your question. One, as you say, we have the right to know. I mean, we are, after all, the food system supposedly works for us, and we're the ones who, who with our purchases, choose the uh, Uh, what what will be sold and, and, and what price it is and so forth and so on with our with our everyday purchases. But the second is that, and, and this the industry has been less uh, 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 happy to talk about, but this is a, an absolute unassailable fact, and that is that since 1996, when the very first genetically engineered crops were introduced, um, they were not introduced. The, 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 the vast majority, 80 to 90 percent of the GE crops out there, have not been brought to the market because they're higher in yields or drought-resistant or have any other uh, health or agricultural benefits. They've been introduced because they're herbicide-resistant. That is, um, they allow farmers to use literally unlimited amounts of uh, what we now know to be probably carcinogenic herbicides without worrying about damage to the crops. And so what the second truth here is that there have been now over a billion pounds of um, a car, a, an herbicide that the World Health Organization a year and a half ago declared to be probably carcinogenic made possible, put into the marketplace because of genetic engineering. And so again, the second truth is that uh, they have led to an explosion in the use of uh, carcinogenic, probably carcinogenic herbicides. 
and people have that right to know. Obviously, we have the right to choose whether to buy or not, but, um, you know, you, you can't exercise that right if you don't know, and you can't know if it's not on the label. And you're talking about Roundup, right? I am talking about Roundup. I'm actually talking about glyphosate, yeah. which is the primary active ingredient in Roundup. Right. Uh, our herbicide-tolerant soy, corn, uh, sugar beets, and other crops are really now the dominant uh, crops out there. And the, the patent holders, uh, who, by the way, happen to sell these chemicals, not, not coincidentally, Monsanto, Dow, DuPont, etc., they will tell you, well, yes, yes, but Roundup or glyphosate is much safer than other herbicides that were used before. And that, that may or may not be true, but it's still been determined to be probably carcinogenic by a unanimous finding on the part of the, the, uh, the most prestigious uh, cancer uh, watchdog panel in the world. So, so uh, again, uh, the, 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 the basic point here, and, and uh, you, really, you guys really put your fingers on it, is that we're going to probably have a scientific, an ecological, a health, a policy debate probably for another generation over what are the appropriate, what are the right ways to deal with uh, pests or, or, or weeds, uh, what's the appropriate amount of these herbicides to use. But there can be no doubt, no choice, that these crops have enabled much greater use, and there can be equally no doubt that we as consumers need to, need to weigh in. That's why we started Just Label It. We watched the genetically engineered alfalfa get approved, um, back in uh, 2011 with zero consumer input. It just went right through with uh, lobbyists for the large chemical companies, big ag interests, uh, and, uh, and then uh, members of the regulatory community uh, just saying, yeah, there's no evidence to show that uh, there's any hazard here, so uh, we'll presume innocent. Actually, yeah, proven guilty. let's talk about the, the crops in just a minute. Uh, there's a whole... Um, you know, new slew of crops from sugar beets to even produce now um, after the break. Let's take a quick break and then revisit that topic of what products, not just processed products, but even, you know, fresh products now are in the marketplace that people should be aware of. We're speaking with Gary Hirschberg, the chairman both of Stonyfield Farms, the world's leading organic yogurt producer, and also the managing director of Stonyfield Europe. And he is also the chairman of the Just Label It campaign in Washington, D.C., and that is our topic here on An Organic Conversation, GMO Labeling, Consumers' Right to Know. Gary, stay with us for just a minute. We'll be right back. Stay tuned for more. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Hilberg. 
And I'm Sitirani Palomar. Our topic in this hour is GMO labeling. What has been law in 64 countries around the world for years is still being worked for here in the United States. And we are closer than ever consumers' right to know what we are actually eating. In this hour, we are joined by Gary Hirschberg, the chairman of the Just Label It campaign, Washington, D.C. That's justlabelit.org. And he's also, of course, the chairman of Stonyfield Farm, the world's leading organic yogurt producer. Gary, before the break, we were talking about the products. You were just getting into uh, what you know what has passed. Alfalfa was a big deal. Those are all agricultural direct ag agricultural products. We've seen in recent years things like sugar beets and sugar beets. Even though consumers might not buy sugar beets here in the U.S. on a regular basis for their personal consumption, it does get into these crops that are in every product. Can you talk about products, both fresh produce as well as processed foods, uh, where sure. GMOs have made their way into? Yeah, absolutely. And to be clear, um, it's been uh, the, the transition from animal feed, primarily animal feed products, uh, to uh, ingredients that go into most processed foods was pretty seamless. Um, as you say, if you're eating processed foods, not in fresh foods, you're, you're, you're likely getting soy, you're likely getting uh, corn syrup or, or, or corn syrup solids, uh, you're likely getting, or, or, or sugar beets. Um, and these uh, ingredients have been genetically engineered now for some time, and, and therefore much of our, um, much of our uh, processed food is, is, is now probably containing ingredients, which is why the, the companies have been fighting so hard against us. Um, on the fresh side. In fact, there have not been a lot of products yet out there. There was early on, there was a, a tomato, a uh, flavor saver tomato that, that really failed. The, the, the newest product that is out there now is an Arctic apple. It's an apple that when it, um, when you cut it open, it doesn't brown. I'm not sure who was actually asking for that, but nevertheless, here it is. Um, there's also a, a salmon now, a fish, That has been approved. And so, again, just for your listeners, to, you have to picture this. You, Without labeling, you could be in a situation where you show up at your fish counter or the produce shelf for an apple, and um, the fish will look like a regular fish that you bought, but in fact there are genes from other species. And that's, that's really our point, is not whether you shouldn't buy them or whether they're unsafe or, or any of those. It's, it's that you should just be able to know and therefore choose. And... When we talk about food safety, um, there are ongoingly, as with anything, studies that say, you know, GMOs are not harmful. We are not really talking about whether or not they're harmful. We are saying you sh we should know, we should have a right to know what's in our, our yeah, product. Yeah, I mean, I, I, what I would say is simply there, there, there are many, many reasons. And our coalition is quite broad. There's over 800 organizations and millions of citizens uh, in fact, the largest number of citizens to ever sign a petition for the FDA was generated through uh, uh, us, Just Label It, and the Center for Food Safety. It was 1.4 million citizens. And when you ask people why they signed or why they want the right to know, uh, they give you many reasons. Some say they are suspicious about safety. Some say they're, the jury's out. Some say um, that they have religious concerns. They don't like messing with God's work. Uh, w w others have a kind of political 
concerns. And, 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 and really the bottom line is that, uh, you know, the other side, the, the anti-labeling side will say, well, you've got choice now. You've got organic or you've got non-GMO certified products. But that's really a disingenuous argument because, unfortunately, uh, neither organic nor non-GMO products are either inexpensive nor widely available in, in many, many parts of this country. You can't find either. And so, you know, our point is that non-GMO or organic is never intended to be for the elite or for the rich or for those with means. Um, it should be a basic right that people should uh, be trusted, should be uh, 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 allowed to choose. And, and as you point out, with the amount of processed food now that contains these ingredients, this has been a, an overnight revolution. This has swept through our country and in uh, less than two decades, and, and the trends are clear that there will be only more. With that said, I, I want to just return quickly to the point about this moment that we're talking, because um, we're not certainly out of the woods yet, although, as you say, we're inching closer. The, the key now is that um, uh, what's happening is that the marketplace is getting engaged. It's no longer becoming just a political fight, although I'll, in a few minutes we'll talk about the politics, because there's still some concerns that Washington may act preemptively to block Vermont. Um, but course. what's happening now is you have several major companies who, let's face it, after all, uh, they, we, food companies, ultimately work for you and I and everybody else who buys food. And these companies have uh, uh, done the homework, they've done the research, they've talked to consumers, just as we have, and found out that, you know, people just want that right, regardless of whether they what their reasoning is or, 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 or what their basis for concern is, they simply want the right. And, and we, so in January... Yeah, we can, know, we can announce it, actually. So Campbell's and General yeah. Mills is what you, who you're talking well, about. And, and, both and, and others. Dannon just came out last yes. week and not, uh, last month and not only said that they will be um, uh, labeling, but that they're going to eliminate GMOs in, uh, in their leading national brands. Yes. Um, M&M Mars came out... Um, so we, so you now have a, uh, a a significant sea change compared to a year ago, and I, I do need to say credit goes to Campbell's for being the first out of the blocks, and 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 Denise uh, Morrison, the CEO of Campbell's, who I know uh, very well and respect, she'll be the first to tell you they put it on their label starting in January and have had, had zero impact. Uh, you can pick up uh, when we were. You mean Campbell's zero head. zero back backlash? Yeah, right? zero backlash mm -hmm. at all at all, and. And, you know, uh, th this is, by the way, what we know to be true all over. Consumers have many, many concerns. And the, the fact that these companies and these, uh, particularly the chemical companies, but also many of the food companies have been um, scared into believing in the ag interest that, you know, uh, the, the appearance of five or six words on the ingredient panel or a symbol uh, was going to cause this massive exodus. Are, you know, they're, 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 like I said, they're, they're false. Uh, fears and there's no evidence to support them. So what what happened uh, is these companies began to introduce, uh, and actually, fascinatingly, uh, Campbell's received sixty thousand thank you notes, uh, emails in their first week um, uh, after after doing this. Their stock price has gone up. Their sales have uh, been very strong, and they're one of the stronger CPG companies. So, w as a food, uh, you know, I'm in this interesting position of being. Uh, both a food processor with decades in the business and someone who chairs, uh, founded and chairs a activist campaign. And I've always said the food companies who fight against this are doing so at their peril because it's never 
as the Des Moines Register said two years ago in an editorial, it's never mm. a good idea to stand between a consumer and what they want. And indeed, finally now, the marketplace is is catching up to us. So yeah, it so, seems like there's a it seems like there's a perfect storm almost. Like I'm I'm curious how this all came about. But um, Sita, you had a question too. Well, that was what I, what I was going to ask. Is that this is such a major development to have these companies on board with labeling? What was it ultimately that got them to to make this decision? Well, it's it's honestly it's the power of one. I mean, it comes back to Margaret Mead that. We can never doubt the power of a small group of people to change the world because it's actually the only thing that ever has. And and by that, I credit not just uh, just label it and, and powerful national activists like Consumers Union and Center for Food Safety, but also, as I said before, uh, 25 or 30 different state organizations. And, and in fact, uh, the California Right to Know effort, Prop 37, uh, the Washington State one, Prop 522, Oregon, Colorado, the, the, while we lost those battles, and we could talk about that, we lost because we were outspent 10 to 1. I mean, California, yeah. the anti-labeling forces spent $55 million to block labeling. But, but, but saying... we ended up only losing by 1.2 percentage points. In Oregon, we lost by 800 votes. And so I view these uh, campaigns as actually having been victories. These yeah, are wins. Because, you're right. We, we lost the battle, but we didn't lose the war, even though exactly. I hate that analogy. And, and, and what it did was it served to, to educate consumers. And you know what really happened? And it's just sort of practical and common sense. When you have huge companies, uh, Monsanto, Dow, DuPont, uh, and, and some of these very large manufacturers, Coke, Pepsi, and others, spending literally now, uh, at this point now, it's hundreds of millions of dollars when you add up the state and federal efforts to block labeling. What's the first thing a, a reasonable, you know, sixth grader is going to say is, what are they trying to hide? And, and so, actually, when you look at what has really, you know, happened here, I think, number one, the public has become educated and mobilized, and people, you know, small numbers of people have, have had a big voice. And number two, these large companies have made their, have really helped, because in their panic and in their fury to, uh, really deny people this basic right. They've actually created probably more uh, impetus and more enthusiasm, e even for people who have no idea what, what the letters GMO really even mean. It was a long battle, and I don't want to celebrate victory quite yet. Well, but it's not a was yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you're right. The efforts over the years, I, I've said um, already a couple of years ago that if we had spent all the money that went into trying to establish GMO labeling in buying Monsanto's stock, we as a movement <laughs> would likely have owned Monsanto at this point. Well, it could but. be, but I, I would give you a more <laughs> practical uh, example, which is the entire organic foods industry, which you guys know all about. I mean, here it sits at now $43 billion in sales. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can tell you, you couldn't even use the word organics and industry in the same sentence when I started, but it's a direct result of grassroots, consumers one at a time. Stony, my favorite adage at Stonyfield over the years was that I borrowed from the Dalai Lama, which is anyone who thinks they're too small to make a difference has never been in bed with a mosquito. And, 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 and now we've changed the world. We are now 5% of U.S. food. We're growing double digits, much faster than regular foods. And, 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 and so, you know, your listeners your, you should, should really take heart to understand that Yes, we have not won the war yet, far from it, because, again, we still don't have federal labeling. And if I might add, we also have a concern at this moment that mm -hmm. with the ag appropriations um, 
you know, we're in the build-up to the farm bill and, and an election year uh, with the ag appropriations process, there is still, at this very moment, sitting here in June, even with those Vermont's coming online July 1st, uh, a, a very real possibility that a, a compromise is going to be struck between um, uh, senators on both parties to uh, to block or preempt or delay uh, Vermont, even on the eve of its, or or even uh, a month or so after, it could even happen in July. Mm. So so we are. You, you, I love your words. You know we're winning the war, but we have to remain vigilant. We have to remain active. And the most important thing people can do, besides uh, letting the companies know uh, that you support their decisions to label is let your senators know uh, and it doesn't and particularly in an election year that this is a real campaign issue that you're going to vote on this basis that particularly farm state senators who are under enormous pressure from vested ag interests in their state that um, you know you're going to vote for somebody who supports your right to know not who uh, who is going to block it you're listening to an organic conversation I'm Helga Helberg And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And our topic in this hour is GMO labeling, consumers' right to know. On the phone with us is Gary Hirschberg, the chairman of the Just Label It campaign, who's joining us today from Holderness, New Hampshire. That's justlabelit.org. And he's also the chairman of Stonyfield Farm. Sita. So, Gary, you were just talking about what is a really important piece for people to be considering, even though all of these great strides have been made, but that there is still a pressing concern in this pursuit for labeling transparency and that there is a role being played by politics. And this is a very interesting, unique political climate this year. And so one thing that you were saying is get in touch with your representatives, let them know this is an issue you care about. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, these are measures that have been successful in getting Vermont to pass the labeling law. So what is it that needs to be replicated, particularly right now? Yeah, great question. And and, and again, I want to remind you, it's also passed in uh, Maine and Connecticut and probably going to pass in New York uh, shortly. Other states have it on the ballot. There's, there's act activism happening in some 28 states right now that one way or the other may may consider or pass uh, state-mandated labeling in the in the coming year or years. But but ultimately, the real solution here, I, I go all the way back to Helga's very opening statement, which is that, you know, we're, we're behind the rest of the world, 64 nations around the world, more than 60 percent of the world's population. And what we need to do is we need a Congress that is going to recognize that people have these basic rights and to recognize that um, there's uh, uh, you can debate and argue over many, many aspects of this of GMOs, but you can't debate that they've increased pesticide use. You can't debate that people should be able to choose what we're feeding our families. So the critical action right now, the, 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 the state of play is that um, ultimately what we really need is we need a federal law that, that essentially does what Vermont did. Um, I, I, I need to point out something that's a bit nerdy, and forgive me for it, but one of the problems with Vermont and, and many of the state bills, and this is Uh, the, the, these were, of course, hard-won compromises, uh, is that about 42% of food is actually exempted. So Verm even Vermont um, does not, for example, require labeling of, of for example, dairy products. Uh, Vermont's a very uh, active and healthy dairy state. And so what we really need is we need a federal mandatory law that would cover all foods. Now, Jeff Merkley, the senator from Oregon, has uh, and a courageous champion 
uh, on this front has uh, picked up where Barbara Boxer left off, and Barbara Boxer and and John Tester and other uh, John uh, uh, Pat Leahy and other senators have been real champions for many years of labeling. Um, Senator Merkley's bill would do just that. It would it would require mandatory labeling. Now the reality is that there's no chance of that bill passing this year, not in an election year, and not with a Republican-dominated Senate. The, the Republicans have made very clear they are opposed to labeling. Um, there are not 30 votes uh, uh, on the Republican side to even get it on uh, up for discussion. And you, I might add that the so-called Dark Act, which stands for Denying Americans the Right to Know, which set out to block Vermont and other states, passed overwhelmingly in the House this year. So this year we are not going to get mandatory labeling passed. What that means, to bring it right back to your excellent question, is that citizens need to indicate at the ballot box this fall that this is important to us. We need to um, get senators, Republicans or Democrats, in who will say they will not only not block state labeling efforts, but they will support mandatory labeling. And I'm confident that because these large companies, as, as we've said in this discussion, we, we have uh, some mega trends going in our direction here. The large companies are, are now shrugging their shoulders saying, no big deal, it's fine to put it on the label. Uh, we're proud to use them, but we're proud to disclose them. Um, I'm confident the political environment is shifting. But, but the only way that, that you know, we get every two or four years to, to let these folks know how we feel, and this is our moment At the no in November, we, we need to be sure that senators, particularly senators, um, here that we want mandatory labeling. M most immediately, and I'll just end with this, uh, uh, again, it's complicated, but most immediately we also have to, before the election, remain vigilant because, as I said, um, Senator Roberts, who's the, currently the chair of the Senate Ag Committee, mm -hmm. um, has already introduced one effort. It, it failed, one effort to block uh, labeling in Vermont and other states. But there is pressure on Democrats up for re-election in places like Colorado and Minnesota and Michigan and other states, particularly ag senators. There's pressure on them to vote for something that would uh, give, uh, give companies and, and, and farmers more time. Uh, and so we need to be vigilant now that a bill, uh, some kind of last-minute appropriations rider, does not go through that would uh, block our hard-won victory. What if that happened, Gary? We're almost out of time, but I do want to get into that. It had ha has happened before in this country where oh, yes. the, oh, the yes. state Plenty initiatives after years, and uh, even with GMOs, um, gay rights, Absolutely. I mean, you can No, no, you this look is why I say, uh, I'll just be quick about this. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I mean, it, it has happened. There's precedent. This is not something uh, atypical. And Often these deals are cut, uh, they'll be added to something that has nothing to do with agriculture or GMOs, but it will be slid in. So um, my, my, I guess, closing comment here is, is don't just wait for the election. Obviously vote, obviously demand that your candidates, uh, whether for re-election or election, will support your right to know. But in the meanwhile, be sure your existing, your current senators right now, hear from you that you don't want this passed, because we know mm -hmm. if a compromise is passed in the Senate that the House would go along with it. So it needs to be blocked in the Senate. If the state decides before, can the federal government retroactively undermine oh, yeah. that effort still? 
Absolutely. Because One I know, I, I know that the Vermont bill is that there are no penalties for six months. There's a six month uh-huh. holiday to allow companies to get there. So, sure. so there's really, although many, many companies are complying and we should support those companies, uh, there's really no, uh, um, uh, no, no, no price to pay uh, for not labeling for the first few months, other than to your reputation. So how, so, yes, how so realistic? From the point of view, they might pass something this this summer. Right. How realistic is that then? Because I know that other than Bernie Sanders, who has not taken money from large corporations, uh, any any candidate in this presidential election, for example, has taken massive amounts of money from companies like Monsanto. I mean, isn't well, it almost inevitable? Right. To be direct about it, every single Republican candidate, and of course that includes the uh, now the, the, the uh, Trump, uh, have said they will they will they they are opposed to labeling. Yes. Senator Clinton, uh, Secretary Clinton, has said she will support federal mandatory labeling. And when the Dark Act failed at the House, she was one of the first to tweet out. But she still took massive amounts of money from Monsanto. Oh sure, you can't win a federal election without money. There's there's no doubt about it. But but. You know, again, you're not uh, too worried about that. No, I, at this point, I, I I'm comfortable that the majority of senators and and that Secretary Clinton, who I've talked to directly myself on many occasions, uh, will support our right to know. Sta- will stand with moms. Will stand with all of us. The, the 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 pressure though is on farm state senators. Great. The pressure is on those who have large agricultural interests. To be perfectly blunt with you. Large food companies are no longer concerning me. There's a few out there. I'd like to see Coke and Pepsi get in line and support mandatory labeling. But but that's, so many others are coming on board. That's, that's really not my concern. My legislator. concern is large sure. soy and corn and commodity interests oh. who remain mm-hmm. stuck uh, in the 20th century, stuck with this idea that disclosure will somehow hurt their interests. And there's no evidence for that, but that's how they feel. Great. Okay. Wow. That was uh, full hour of of getting us up to speed of where we stand <laughs> and what's at stake <laughs> thank you so much gary i know you are extremely busy in your role as a leader in this movement as you have been for years um just to throw that out gary hirschberg of course the chairman of stonyfield farm also the chairman of the just label it campaign i think you've received a dozen or so honorary doctorates for corporate and environmental leadership so um An honor to have you on the show. Thank you for that in-depth update. And fingers crossed, we will activate our listenership and we know now what to do and where the pressure points are. Thank you so much. We're all very grateful for your support. So thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. Good luck. We'll talk soon. Bye. Thanks, Gary. And that is an organic conversation in this hour focused on GMO labeling. Uh, our right to know, consumers' right to know what is common in 64 countries and law for years. Uh, we might be closer than ever before here in the United States. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our right to know, GMO labeling, an important consumer choice. It is not allowed in organic production, of course, on any level of production. And organic produce is the antidote. It's the opposite of GMO foods. And that is our topic now. Here is the update from the produce doc. Here is what's in season. And it's the voice of the San Francisco produce market, Mr. Organic, on the line. 
Hello, Helga. <laughs> hey, Earl. <laughs> Thanks for hey. making time. And um, yeah, wow, we talked about stone fruit last week, yeah. and you were saying that every day now, June, you know, having made it through the month of, of May where it was really berry-focused and still, like, l local domestic, really local, was still waiting to come in. It's now coming in on a daily basis. What's yeah. the newest item this week? Well, you know, corn now. Oh, corn already. Jesus. Yeah, it's become... Uh, corn is so much fun because <laughs> we see it uh, so clearly, at least from uh, the, the wholesale side, where we get some early production in uh, what maybe April, May, out of the desert. And then the next production area is the lower San Joaquin Valley, which mm -hmm. is, you know, maybe 150 miles north of the desert. Sure. And then it creeps up to the Central Valley, which is where we are now. So if you're looking at San Francisco, go directly east into Brentwood. Yeah. And Brentwood is a big corn Brentwood area. Brentwood corn, sure. Yeah, and so right now we're, we're, we're just starting that. We're in the, the, the tail end of the lower valley. Now we're getting into, um, in the middle of June here, into the white and yellow corn out of the, the Brentwood area. We're dealing with a grower named Dwilly, and he's a multi-generation farmer. He's been doing this forever. He does a great green bean, too. And What does that mean for the consumer? Better prices yeah. now? Corn prices come, are coming down? Yeah, well, you not know. Really? Not really? Not, not corn. They're corn, as we all know, Well, maybe not. Is that it's got that uh, it's got that worm? Oh yeah, you know, the the corn earworm, and there's really no way to deal with it. Conventionally, they spray some uh, pesticide insecticide on. Yeah, we don't want the, that. Yeah, yeah. On the, on the organic <laughs> side, there it is a incredibly highly in, intensive thing. They l use biological controls, but even then, the worm is so prolific that almost almost every time you're going to get a fair portion of so so corn comes in a big box 48 ears to a cart and and then you get 48 uh, cartons to a pallet mm -hmm. and in that you're going to get probably at least half of the of the corn in each box is going to have some worm pressure we refer to it on the end of the corn and what do you do you cut off the top the tip or how do you yeah we yeah we don't the the retailer does mm -hmm. And, and sometimes the grower does, but and that's why you see that in the in the retail stores those tips that are you know sliced off, and that is to remove that that ear that worm. Uh, so what happens is it takes a lot of work. So a lot of growers just are choosing to do something else. Sure. And also, there the supply is managed in such in such a way that the big generally the big retailers are not going to get into the organic corn because it that is quote unquote disfigured sure. to them. So if you don't have that supply uh, down the road, if you don't have that demand, that's going to influence how much you're going to grow. Of course. So uh, it's not grown as much as many other products. I, I, I always feel we can sell more of it. So it's never very economically uh, comparable at all. It's about four times the price sometimes as conventional corn. So it becomes a pretty uh, a pretty special deal. But I'll tell you, it's wonderful when it's local like this. It is fresh as can be. It's coming in every day. And uh, corn can be frozen. Uh, and this is a time, for me, I love corn and scram scrambled eggs and mashed potatoes and put in with rice and all sorts of stuff. So this time of year for me, 
you know, I, I get my, 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 my corn tune satisfied. So when you say it can be frozen, that's interesting. I never heard that. It doesn't turn starchy. If you, how would you freeze it? Would you um, freeze the whole husk, the whole, I, the whole yeah, cob? Or? You, want to, you want to take the husk off and, and, and all the silk? Right. Then I would, do, I would just I would do a, uh, a plastic uh, container or, or in a plastic bag. Now, it's, I don't think it's anything you're going to be fresh so much is that you can use it for, you know, in cooking, whether like, like I do. So I let it thaw a little bit, and then I, I cut it off the ear, and I use it as I normally would. Nice. But so you, it's, 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 yeah, you got to watch out because it can get mushy on you. Sure. Out about it. So uh, that's, nice. that's one of the, the great things about this time of year, the, um, the ability to control the worm, though, is really what limits the production and and the uh, and the far great use of corn because there's so much corn grown commercially and people expect it five or ten for a dollar. You know that that's what people are used to. Yeah, and corn corn is a heavy feeder, right? They use a lot of pesticides and synthetic fertilizers on uh, in non-organic corn production. So, if possible, um, it's it's one of those crops that you you should eat organically uh, whenever you can because it's it's really up there on the list of ecological impact crops. It also takes a lot of acreage. Yeah, it's very labor intensive. Right. Yeah, and it's hard to it's really hard to make money on it. Big issue crop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the small local grower does okay when he can bring it to uh, the farmers markets. Uh, that's kind of a, and that's of course a lot of the small, small farmer small growers want it for themselves. So it's just a little bit of an extension past that. Sure. So it's a nice <laughs> nice activity. Who can blame him? In. Yeah, sure. Well, important to remember really good, great reminder. Thank you for for all of us as consumers that if we support organic and small farms, the the risk and hardship those people take on to bring us our food that we then get to enjoy, it's an it's an honor to support that. And you know, I'm not saying price doesn't matter, but wow, the the quality f- that is being produced out of that risk, and and we get to honor that. It's just important to hold that and and really respect that. Yes. Yeah. Right. Couldn't say it better. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm. Not trying to give the impression that all organic farms are small no. and they're all family farms. Sure. Not at all. You know, we couldn't we couldn't fill the the, yeah. the need and the demand that's there. But there are, you know, I've I've made such great relationships with so many small growers that they're out there and they're all over the country in, in all these great geographical pockets. You have uh, sure. family farms living on the farm and having having this this great adventure. And we get the benefit from it. Yeah, and we need them all, but it's it's just important. You know your farmer, know where your food comes from, really, to a certain story level. Um, and then you, you're a part of the production. You're co-creating, right? They they need us as consumers, and they need us to know their story, um, just as we need to know the story. It's just a really good yeah. cycle. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Yes. Yeah, keep on creating that dialogue with the produce department. <laughs> yes. Keep asking those questions. And go to Earl's website, that's earlsorganic.com. Uh, all those farmer stories and, of course, the produce items of the week of what's rolling in and what's the best and how to pick it and choose it on earlsorganic.com. Uh, and that is Earl Herrick, the founder of Earl's Organic. Thanks so much for making time, Earl. We'll okay. have you back next week. Great talking to you. Pleasure. You, Take care. Bye. Later.
Yes, corn is one of those GMO approved and in the marketplace for years, actually. And of course, this is organic corn that we talked about. Choose organic whenever you can. And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Talk to you soon. See you then. Bye. Bye. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash an organic conversation thank you for your contribution an organic conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters earl's organic produce a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store home or business since 1988 the website is earlsorganic.com and also fry vineyards america's first certified organic winery producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helberg and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye.